Hey fellow geeks, it's Jay Shear, host of the Story Geeks podcast and co-founder of the Reclamation Society. On today's podcast, Daryl Smith and Elvis Ieskis review and discuss the Christopher Nolan film Interstellar. As always with the Story Geeks podcast, their review will be spoiler free and then they'll give a spoiler warning before discussing the film in depth. If you haven't seen Interstellar, you can stick around for the review and then jump off before the spoilers. Before I hand the podcast over to Daryl, I do want to mention that the Story Geeks podcast is giving away comics. If you're interested in winning a copy of some of the comics we are giving away, all you have to do is submit an iTunes review of the Story Geeks podcast, this podcast, and like our Facebook page. Stay tuned at the end of this podcast for more details. As always, make sure you subscribe on iTunes or follow us on Podbean to get the latest episode of the Story Geeks podcast. And with that, I will hand it over to Daryl and Elvis. All right. Well, welcome to the Story Geeks podcast, everybody. Uh, again, my name is Daryl Smith, and I'll be guest hosting this episode, and I'm happy to be doing that for a second time. So uh, today, I'm excited because I've got a good friend of mine with me. His name is Elvis Ieskis, and he is a fellow geek, fellow musician, longtime friend, fun guy. So welcome, Elvis. Thank you, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we are going to talk about Interstellar, which is one of my favorite movies. We are sitting in sort of my breakfast nook right now. And around the corner on the wall by my TV is three IMAX posters of Interstellar, prominently displayed. So, I love this movie. So, um, as we always do, we're going to start off with a spoiler-free review section. Um, and we're just going to kind of give the film our ratings, our opinions, and just start off by seeing what we thought of the movie. So, Elvis, yes. on a scale of 1 to 10, how do you rate the quality of Interstellar? I said 10, and um, believe it or not, I kind of threw that number around, but it was really like between 8 and 10, so it's still on the high end of the scale, but I ended up with 10 because just there's, um, yeah, there's no way, could have been anything lower than that in my opinion. And why is that? Um, and the reason behind that is, um, you know, you growing up as a kid, you know that the whole it still has that uh, that that notion of exploration and yeah and advance you know going into the the unknown, um, it that has uh, great appeal in movies for me or story storylines, um, you know going to the, into the dark abyss or to the unknown and and seeking out new things is is you know that that said a lot. For this movie totally yeah i gave it a 10 too um i think for a different reason though i think for the emotional impact of it um because like i said i'm a huge christopher nolan fan but you know the biggest criticism he seems to take is that his movies are cold right oh yeah like they're you know they're dark and they're cold and they're not very feeling but i no i don't think anybody can say that about interstellar i mean it's heartbreaking at points. Right. Um, but still, it's this huge, epic, like, grand-scale movie, while it's still this very, very personal story. So I think that's a hard balance, and I think he nailed it. Yeah. 
So let's talk about the story. How about how about the depth of the story? What would you say on a one to ten for that? I think I scored I scored that the same at a ten. Yeah, you know, doing doing a little more, a little more searching and and reading on my end. I did. I had come across that that Christopher Nolan is pretty cold in his movies. Yeah. Um, but even you know, even when you look at the Batman movies, I know we're not talking about that. But when you look at those, like those characters in there, there's they have Batman in them, so who cares? Right, exactly, it's, it's already awesome. Yeah. So, but with this, I mean, each each individual character had a sense of emotion. Um, either it was fear or hatred, or you right. know, and you see that in each person displayed differently, but it's there and mm-hmm. it's not cold at all. Totally. Um, how about a likelihood to refer to somebody else on a one to ten scale? I said ten, um, and you know, not to go off on a complete tangent. I remember I referred this to a coworker of mine, um, whose movie movie is more of his speed is is Fast and the Furious, but I refer. Don't knock Fast and the no, Furious. No, I'm not. That's I mean, a good time right there. That is. It's um, a shallow good time, but, but it's a good time. He he said he fell asleep through certain portions of the movie. And, of Interstellar. Of Interstellar. Okay. And uh, yeah, I was I was a little irritated. But... <laughs> <laughs> you, you, <laughs> was, you were was, irritated that he fell asleep. Yeah, it was a waste of a recommendation. A jerk. Yeah, man. <laughs> All right. Jeez. I hope your friend's not listening. I just call him a jerk. Oh, just tell him to okay. listen. Fair enough. Yeah. Um. Well, I differ just a little bit on this one. I gave it a nine, um, only because everything about this movie is something I would totally refer. I love it. I'll refer any of Chris Nolan's movies all day long. Um, the only hesitation I would have on this one, it depends on the audience, but if it's somebody who recently lost a family member or who has broken relationships in their family, this might be a little bit much. It might be a little... I could see that, yeah. Might be an emotional boulder to the head. Right. You know? so, I could see that, yes. So there, there might be a little bit of sensitivity there, but that's yeah. the only reason I would take it down to a nine. Okay. Other than that, everybody go see this movie. It's fantastic. If you haven't seen it by now, man, you should have. Right. Okay, so let's get into it a little bit deeper here. We are no longer going to be spoiler-free here, people. Just a warning. If you haven't seen Interstellar... Go see it first, and then listen to this portion, because we're just going to ruin everything. So, lots of big themes in this movie. Why don't we start off first talking a little bit about characters, because there's lots of great characters in this movie. Um, okay. Did you have a favorite character? Um, I've, it was kind of hard. Uh, this was probably one that I was stuck on the most, this question, um, because I was like, I was like, oh, Tars was my favorite character, <laughs> but, but that's because he's a robot and he was funny and and he was kind of the you know, the the um, the he you know would lessen the the tension or the intensity of yeah. things of the movie. Uh, the comic relief is the word I was looking for, mm-hmm. um, but um, I don't know if everybody who's seen this movie would say this, but Coop obviously. Was, was my fave. Um, I liked Brand, and I liked their dynamic. Yeah. Um, the and, Brands. Yeah. The Brands. Um, mm-hmm. But those, yeah, those were probably three of my favorite characters there. Okay. I would actually go with Murph. Um, 
just because of kind of I think she has the most interesting journey in the movie like the most interesting emotional journey and experiential journey which is weird because there's a giant block of the movie where you don't even see her right but you still get a sense of her journey I think um I didn't even think about it that way and I you know just from being that little kid who can't see past the fact that her dad is leaving to growing up and we'll talk more about this later but being in my opinion, the most, the character in the movie with the most faith and the most willingness to be positive and be optimistic and keep trying. Mm. And in the end, she's rewarded for right. that. Yeah. Big so, time. yeah. So I'd go with her. Okay. I, I really like Tars too, though. I didn't even put him on, I guess he is a character. I didn't put him on the list because you're right, <laughs> he's a robot. But, you know, this this relates to nothing, but. When I went to see the movie, I knew that Matt Damon was in it. Mm. I, I don't think a lot of people did, but I heard something about it. I heard that Matt Damon had a small role in it, but they never said what it was. And at first, I thought he was Tars, because if you listen to Tars, he it sounds like sounds Matt Damon. Like, yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, oh, that's Matt Damon. So I was satisfied with that. It didn't ruin anything for me, because I'm like, oh, okay, well, now I know who Matt Damon is. I mm-hmm. don't have to look for that anymore. So when they find Dr. Mann later on, and it's Matt Damon, they're yeah. like, what? <laughs> and then later I find out that Tars isn't even played by Matt Damon. Yeah. So I'm just stupid. I almost put down Dr. Mann as a potential favorite character. Yeah. Um, and I know he, he comes off as an you know, absolute scum, but at the end of the day, when it comes down to humanity, like he was ready to you know, do whatever it took to prolong our species or to continue or yeah. have, you know, to not have that come to an end. Um, you know, and that, that is, uh, you know, uh, you know, as we, we progress in the, in the conversation, that was one of the themes that I had pulled out as well. Um, you know, just humanity in itself and, and the idea of, of, or fear of dying or yeah, yeah. dying off. So fear of extinction. Yeah, fear of extinction. And yeah. so that I almost put him down as a favorite character because I know you know he you know he's a he's a turd, but he <laughs> you know he he, he he there is necessity. There is a reason for it. So. Exactly, and that I you know I kind of went that route a little bit too because yeah he's a turd, and there's a couple other characters who are very um, utilitarian. They're yeah. very utilitarian yeah. characters like. Tom is one of those, yeah. like Murph's brother. Yeah. He doesn't have much of an arc. He's just there to show you what it looks like when someone digs their feet into earth and won't think beyond it and basically just suffers for it, you know? Right. And in any other movie by any other director or a lot of other directors, those kinds of characters would feel pointless and flat and uninteresting. Right. But in this one, even the utilitarian characters that you're not supposed to like are so deep and so good. Exactly, yeah. So, um, let's talk a little bit about the characters more on an individual basis. Let's talk about Cooper. Sure. Um, so you were talking about you enjoyed this movie's kind of explorational spirit. Yeah. Is explorational a word? Yeah, I mean, we can make it a word. It That's is fine. Exploratory? Yeah. That sounds like surgery. Exploratory, Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll go with both, and then <laughs> we'll edit in the right one. Oh yeah, but probably not. Well, probably not. Uh, Cooper. So Cooper. Cooper has that the spirit of the explorer in him for sure. 
Um, what do you think? What do you think Cooper's worldview is? And obviously, they're in this world that's dying. Yeah. So that's going to change everybody's worldview, which is a whole different paradigm shift that we don't even have. But right. What do you think? I think I think uh, kind of piggybacking a little bit after on what you just said about Tom. Um, or Dr. Man, or, mm-hmm. you know, have you have these characters in this movie who are just digging in their heels and being like, this is this is what it is, and they're all, they're both on opposite ends of the spectrum here. Yeah. Um, and then right in the middle, you have Coop, um, or Cooper, who doesn't think that way. You know, you have both, both ends, you know, you have brilliant scientists and then just everyday farmers or, or this new society who's trying to cultivate this new, uh, this new occupation for people, you know, yeah. there's no like, why waste your time going to university when we're dying right. as, as as a race, as a human, you know, as a species. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Cooper has this phenomenal quote that he says when he's talking to the principal and Murph's uh, teacher, where he says, "We used to look up at the sky and wonder at our place in the stars." And so now, and then he, I'm going to butcher this, but he says, you know, now we kind of look down at the dirt. Yeah, he says, we used to look up and dream about our place in the stars, and now we look down and... Ah, shoot, you're right. I can't... I should have written it down, too. He actually doesn't say it to uh, the principal, though. He says it to Donald. That's to, right, uh, that's to right. His to his father-in-law. That's yeah. right, that's right. Um, but yeah, that is a great quote. Yeah, so he says that that's a, that quote there, and so you, you have, in the midst of all these people who are digging their heels down on either side, uh, he's trying to think outside of the box. Yeah. And throughout the whole movie, people are are faulting him and thinking that he um, isn't necessarily there for the greater good of humanity because he still has feelings for his children. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is no, he's kind of trying to balance out both. You know, yes, we have to continue on with this plan, but also what about all the people on, on, on Earth? Right. So I think his whole was, you know, his worldview was not necessarily in in a box. Yeah. You know, it's outside of that or trying to himself, trying to chew on that himself. Yeah. Trying to think that through. Another good quote from him was mankind was born on earth, but it was never meant to die here. Mm. You know? Yeah. So what do you think? So there's some, there's some faith in him, obviously. Right. But the question is, what is that faith in? Do you, do you think his faith is in science? Do you think it's in discovery? Do you think... This is going to be a big question we'll talk about throughout this whole podcast. Yeah. Basically, the idea of, does God exist in Interstellar? You know what I mean? So, do you think Coop has faith in something beyond science? Or do you think his faith is in science and in exploration? I think you could definitely say that at the beginning, it was, it was his faith was in science and exploration. Yeah. Um, and then we're good on the spoilers, right? Yeah, go for it. Right. And so then, you know, when he, he comes across the, the Tesseract, and he comes which is a cool Avengers crossover right never mind (laughs) (laughs) um you know he comes across that and realizes who's who who they were or who's they or these people that is referenced throughout the whole movie you know you kind of see him go beyond the you know the faith he had in just science and and exploration Mm -hmm. so um I think that's what his faith was starting and then seeing truth yeah um, and having his belief and foundation 
you know, somewhat evolved from, from what it was before. Right. You know, so. Yeah, I think you mentioned they, you know, they brought us here. There's a lot of talk of they early in the film. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to kind of gauge who is grounded in what they can see in front of them and who is able to think beyond that. Um, one of the people that seems to use they, they, they the most is Professor Brand, Michael Caine's character. Yeah. So what do you think about him? Do you think, where do you think he's at? Because he has a shift right. through the movie, or at least we find out more about him that tells us more about where he may have been all along. But I think he'd, he'd you know, he'd... Uh... He'd put all his faith in in science and trying to figure out, you know, what to do, um, or how to approach this situation. And I think when he he figured out that there's only really one true outcome to that, that's what he stuck with. But I think you know when as he's dying and he's talking to Murph, I think he kind of regrets that. He, yeah, he regrets having to not or he not and it's maybe not maybe it is regretful or remorse more of you know, maybe that he could have done something more. I felt, in my opinion, anyway, when he's yeah. talking to her. I mean, it, it, it feels like he definitely regrets what he did to her yeah. specifically. Yeah. Because he, in his mind, he gave her hope that her dad would come back when he never believed that he ever would. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he would regret it in regards to other people. Because I feel like, I kind of get the sense that that he may have been the faithful type, you know? Like, not maybe not faith in God, but at least faith in something beyond himself, faith that exactly what he sees in front of him isn't all there is. Yeah. And, and then I think when he figured out that there was no good way to get everybody off the planet, they just didn't have enough information. Yeah. I think something broke in him. His faith started to die. But I feel like he still recognized the need for faith. So he lied to let everybody else still have it because he probably believed, well, they wouldn't move forward. Like right. if their faith was broken, then we're all just going to let ourselves die. Right. You know? Okay, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, that's yeah. just a guess. But I really, I really liked his character too because he does like one of the most despicable things in the movie. Yeah. But you don't hate him for it. You no. know, you you get it. Yeah. You know? So, and he's played by Michael Caine, which right. is never bad. And I guess sort of a requirement for Chris Nolan movies. <laughs> um, he also is the one that seems to reference Lazarus a lot. Yes. And to me, it seems like he's referencing him in a way that it's history and not fiction. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I'm probably reading into it a bit there, but, you know, when he and Cooper have the conversation about, you know, Lazarus rose from the dead, and Coop says, yeah, but he had to die first, right. you know? <laughs> right, right. It just kind of feels like they're not talking about a fairy tale, they're talking about something that they actually would believe is true. Yeah. I see that, yeah. Which I feel is, like, one of the only little hints that god might exist in this movie but we'll, we'll come to that later all right let's talk about um the other brand let's talk about amelia brand sure what what do you think her view of the world looks like i think it's maybe not residual faith from her dad but she puts a lot of faith in him 
mm-hmm. and kind of you know with it's like well my dad my dad has this equation he's figured this out and he's the one that set all of this in motion right so it's like you know to even even fa- like even think about the fact that he could potentially be lying or had lied you know you see that like kind of just break like she, her dad just died but yeah this you know at the same time it was a double whammy there yeah totally um so i think you know maybe her you know maybe her her faith relied was relying on that but i think after that happens you see a a shift in her yeah like it's like okay well the mission has to continue so you know her faith then turns to again the greater good of you know prolonging the human race yeah yeah she's a really interesting one to me because she brings this idea into the movie of love as a scientific property which I found so interesting and I feel like that was maybe Nolan's way of getting spiritual without getting spiritual mm-hmm. you know yeah well because I mean that's a huge theme in this movie yeah is love and it's not necessarily romanticized yeah um, but yes it's on a very you could, you find it on a scientific you know uh, on in that notion and then also obviously between loved ones but yeah, yeah i think that's that's a huge theme in this in this movie well and you find out that there's that's her motivation yeah. for what she's doing really because she's in love with one of the scientists right. on one of the planets that they're trying to get to and so that's why she wants to go to that one and then when coop confronts her on it she's not ashamed of it she doesn't back off of it she's right. like well yes i love him yeah and that's a reason to go, you know? Right. Like, she talks about it like it's a scientific thing, not like it's a supernatural thing or mm-hmm. something irrational or something like that. Yeah. Like, she says, love isn't something we invented. It's observable, powerful. It has to mean something. Maybe it means something more. Maybe something we can't yet understand. Maybe it's some evidence, some artifact of a higher dimension we can't consciously perceive. So she's totally making, like, love is like gravity. Right. Or time, you know, or yeah. space. It's the same thing. So I just think, I think that's really interesting. And she also says love is the one thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. Mm. Maybe we should trust that. Mm. That's so, a quote. Yeah. So I really like her character because I just, <clears throat> that's a bit of a romantic notion, but I don't know. I believe that, you yeah. know? I believe love is is much more of a real thing than a lot of people treat it, you right. know. <laughs> so and and you know again, spoiler alerts, that love and her faith in that love it stays intact even after her dad dies because she still goes. She still goes to search out Edmund's planet mm-hmm. and finds it. Right. And that's, you know, that's the success of the movie. Like they actually found a new home Mm -hmm. and it was her faith in love that ultimately helped her persevere to get there. Right. So I think that's, yeah, I love, I like that. That's kind of the last note of the movie. Right. You know? So, cause you know, she's talking to Cooper about that and, and he's the super scientific guy, you know, she's like, this doesn't mean that I'm wrong. And he's like, honestly, it might, you know? And so, 
yeah, I love that it kind of lands on her favor on that one. Hey guys, pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing, they're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called their headphones the best headphones on the market, better even than Bose and Beats. And you know what? I agree. They're what I use when I record this podcast. Please consider purchasing a pair using the link in the show notes. If you click the link to their website and use the promo code J, my name, my first name, J-A-Y, super simple, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. So if you need headphones or you're looking to upgrade the pair that you currently have, definitely take a look at what Urban Vinyl has to offer. Click the link in the show notes to visit their website and use my name, J-A-Y, to get the 15% discount. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now let's get back to the show. Okay. Murph. Let's talk about my favorite character now. Murph. Let's talk about Murph. What do you think is Murph's worldview? Maybe we can kind of talk about her as a kid. Okay. And then as an adult, you know, maybe sort of after that point in the movie when she is the same age that her dad was when he left Mm -hmm. because that's kind of a big turning point for her you know she starts to feel like maybe i'm never gonna see him again right you know so what do you think about her um i don't know i think as a kid it's kind of you you know i i I was kind of thinking through this like like to have had yeah, say say you know your your child born into a situation like that where the earth is just kind of deteriorating. Yeah, like their whole mindset would, you know, would be different than what it is now, or what you know, what a kid's mind or thought process is now. It's like this is you know, there's you know you have the dust, you have like some remnants of of what baseball was. Right. You know, or, you know, you're looking through textbooks and they're, they're taking, you know, they're taking things out of it, you know, and trying to teach a whole new different thing. And totally, I think with her, she'd had all these different, you know, her mom had just died. Um, you know, uh, you the Cooper who was there, but not really there, uh, because she just had that, that, that one, that, pulling sensation of you know needing to go somewhere else or needing to go out and you know out to the unknown and mm-hmm. you had your her grandfather who's just you know from a different time different period um so i think it was all you i guess you could say that it was all just kind of a, a little bit of everything there as a kid yeah um and then i think as she got older obviously there's resentment and bitterness and like full-on hatred for her dad yeah um, you know, and I think at that point when she was an adult, it was kind of a, more of a push and more of a faith in what she was doing and in Professor Brand. Yeah. And to continue going, th- you know, through those motions to find some sort of outcome or some sort of solution. Yeah. Um, so I think there's two varying, you know, factors there or multiple, I guess. Yeah. When she was young. And then... Totally. I, th- I think... Um... The fact that what she goes through when she's young with the ghost, quote unquote, in her bedroom, you know, which we learn is really just gravity, but she refers to it as a ghost. Yeah. And I think that's a big clue 
into her because I feel like if she's calling something a ghost, then automatically to me, she's a little more open-minded, you know? Um, I don't know if she truly believes it's a dead person speaking to her from beyond the grave, but her mind has that, that sort of creative way of thinking. Um, and I think if not for the ghost, if not for that, she probably just would have ended up like Tom, like she probably would have just been bitter at her dad for leaving and she would have, you know, wasted away like Tom did. But I think the ghost experience when she was a kid instilled something in her that she was able to hold on to even without her dad. And then obviously we come to find out that the ghost was her dad. Right. But yeah, and she is, I think, definitely the character in the movie with the most faith. Again, we don't know in what, but faith in something, like the most drive to persevere. Right. And not to just give up. And and then at the end of the movie, like we said before, she gets rewarded for that big time. Like she's the one that ultimately is able to put everything into place to save everybody, to get them off the planet. Right. And she gets Cooper back right at the last minute. Yeah. <laughs> so it's cool to see the idea of faith being rewarded. Yeah. Even if it's not necessarily... Christian faith or faith in God, but just belief in good in yeah. some way, you know, mm-hmm. it's cool to see that being rewarded. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the turd. Let's talk about Dr. Man. Dr. Man. <laughs> Obviously we don't know a whole lot about him before his experience. So we can really only talk about him, you know, having been the guy who basically thought he was going to die alone on a planet that nobody was ever going to find. And, Essentially went to sleep with no wake-up date. Basically committed suicide. Right. And so to come back from that, what do you think... Where do you think his head is at after that? Other than just completely messed up. Yeah. Yeah. As, you know, as he tells uh, Cooper after he cracks his visor, you know, you didn't have to... I'm going to butcher this quote as well, but he says, you know, he says, I'm, you know, you don't, um, you didn't have to deal or experience what I had to experience, you know, yeah. who, who knows how long he was there on that planet for, but he didn't have to experience that. So yeah, I think there's a, a, like a hint of madness there, hysteria. Um, but also, you know, the fact that he has a second chance to complete the mission I think kind of revitalizes things for him. Like, like it's like, okay, I thought I was going to die, but now people are here, but these people want, don't want to continue on with this. So I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure they don't stop me from doing what I need to do. And that's the greater good. So do you think he really is acting out of the greater good? Or do you think he's just trying to save himself? I think, I think you could, you could argue both. Yeah. Um, probably mostly that he's trying to save himself. Yeah. Um, you know, he was desperate. He was gonna commit suicide essentially. But um, yeah, I think you could. You could. I. I would be more on the side of that. He was just trying to save himself. Yeah. It's, you know, listening to him talk, you can even hear the science in him. You know, like they talk about him as having been this remarkable scientist, this remarkable man, 
And when he talks, it's like you're reading a textbook. Like mm-hmm. everything he says yeah. is so structured <laughs> and it's so scientific. And he talks about, you know, your brain experiences this right before you die. Yeah. And, and like the things he chooses to talk about are emotional, but the way he talks about them is just so scientific. And that's why I kind of see him as like the utilitarian character like yeah. Tom, because, you know, he's sort of a picture of this is what it looks like when you can't grow beyond where you're at yeah if you can't hope beyond where you're at this is how you end up right and it sucks yeah <laughs> you know yeah and he you know he gets he he locks onto the um onto the endurance or he's trying to get on and part of me was like i wish i wish he would have i wish cooper and amelia would have tried to reason with him a little bit more and you you see that in the in you know in that whole scene play out they're trying to reason with him yeah and like part of you is kind of like man why i wish he would have listened yeah because if he wouldn't have been completely if he hadn't completely lost his mind or had completely um detached himself from all other humanity to save humanity they all could have easily had survived that yeah you know obviously cooper and amelia did but he could have been part of that yeah you know and it's almost sad that he didn't get to be a part of that you know he died in the process of trying to save humanity yeah so and imagine how it would have impacted him if he could have seen what murph was able to accomplish ultimately you know right it's like yeah yeah it's a bummer it's a this is totally off topic but (laughs) when he dies You know, he has that quick little moment where he starts to say something. Yeah. He's like, there are moments, and then boom, and he dies. Yeah. That's such a Chris Nolan thing to do. He does the same thing to Rachel in The Dark Knight. That's right. She's she's like, like, Harvey, some boom, (laughs) and then she dies. (laughs) That's how he likes to catch off guard, I guess. I just think that's funny. It's kind of, it's funny. I was listening to an interview. This is off tangent, too, so I apologize. Um, but the, um, he was, I was listening to a quick interview with Hans Zimmer. Um, and he said that when Christopher Nolan approached him, he told him just like a small little tidbit of what this movie was going to be. Mm-hmm. And then that's where Hans wrote this very intimate, like the very, you know, that the, the one song that they play over the entire movie, yeah. a very intimate piece. And then Christopher Nolan's like, okay, I know what the movie's about. Yeah, and Hans is still like, "What? Well, what do you mean? I wrote you this intimate piece. What do you mean? You know yeah. what it's about?" So, yeah, it's kind of that same thing throughout the whole. It's all his movies. I think he's done the same thing with you know Hans that they're he gives them like a, you know, a theme or an idea or something. Totally. So like, yeah, the partnership between them is amazing because, like, he lets music influence him, like you said. Yeah, you know, I love that too. Yeah. Um, okay, just one more character. We've talked about him already, but briefly, let's touch on Tom. Um, again, Tom seems like one of those utilitarian characters, but what do you think's going on a little bit in his head? Well, he's he's a perfect example, a perfect character where you kind of see him. It's not very... They, they show him in three different spots, and, you know, it's throughout his life, but it's enough... It's spaced out in enough time that you kind of see the change. Yeah. You know? From when he was still a kid and he's telling his dad about a girlfriend and then to, you know, getting married, have been married and have a kid. And then just the last one's like, I can't do this anymore. Like, yeah. You know, we had to bury Jesse out in the back with yeah. mom and, and grandpa and and just the defeat. And I think at that point, you know, 
not to say that he already didn't have that mentality throughout the movie from yeah. when he was a kid to adulthood, but it, it's I think one of the only ones where you kind of see that you know that um, um, that change, yeah, immediate change anyway, and just over a period of time. I didn't even think about this until you just mentioned like he was in three different stages, but it seems like he's a character who he almost wanted to set aside the whole idea that the earth was dying and just not even think about the need to hope beyond that yeah and just enjoy his life in the moment yeah because yeah he has a family he has kids and and some of those messages he seems really happy you know um but by not paying attention to anything else that's going on around him yeah it takes his kid away yeah you get the sense that it's about to take his other kid away Mm -hmm. you know because he's so sick too yeah and and Murph is kind of the opposite of that. Like, she never put any effort into her life on Earth. It was right. all towards the future. Exactly. So, two very different sides of that coin, I yeah. think. Okay, I think that pretty well wraps up the characters. Obviously, there are others, but we can kind of stop there. Um, so, okay, let's get back to this question that I've alluded to a couple of times now. Do you think God exists in interstellar i think um yes and no um you know obviously in in the whole they or you could be could lead to potential you know higher being Mm -hmm. you know or, or god Although in the end, it turns out to just be the, like right. them. It just you ends know? up being them, yeah. Yeah, yeah that they've set things. up. They've, they've gone beyond to the yeah. fifth dimension or what have you. Um, I, think, I think you can pull, you can pull um, Christian symbolism out of there. Totally. Um, you know, you love, hope, faith. Um, you know, what does 1 Corinthians 13 say? Um, so I think, I think it is. It, you could definitely pull. Mm-hmm. Um, different themes out of there um but at the same time it really isn't because i think you could very well ask people or ask yourself you know after watching this movie you know what it, what does it mean to be conscious responsible loving or what does it even mean to be human yeah you know and i think i think that's almost a bigger you know theme to it yeah totally i yeah i it's subtle, but I feel like he's there. Mm-hmm. Um, only because, you know, they have these notions of love. They have these notions of things that seem to be, you know, that at first glance they seem to be outside of science. Like love, hope, faith, you know. And sure, in the end of the movie, science sort of reconciles all of those things. Like, Love does sort of end up being a scientific property yeah. and the faith ends up being faith in themselves to achieve. Exactly, yeah. So that is kind of where it ends up. Yeah. But I feel like for them to even be willing to think beyond that to begin with, mm-hmm. there has to be something there beyond to that. indicate that those things might exist. Right, You know, right. no matter how it looks in the end. There had to be something to start it all. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I think I think you, when you when you quoted Amelia Brand, I think that was I didn't even think of it when she said that. Mm-hmm. But I think that's that's um, it, it, not just love, hope, 
you know, faith, but the, I, the idea of something bigger than ourselves is something that just is ingrained in us. Yeah. And I think when you, you couple that with science, you can kind of almost give yourself um, a solution or mm-hmm. comfort to like, there's this, this idea ingrained in me and I can, you know, by some hypothesis or some formula, I could, this is what it means yeah. or this is why I'm experiencing that. But, you know, in all reality, you know, as, as believing Christians, I think you could say that that's obviously God who's ingrained that in, yeah. our, in our, our DNA. Yeah, it's um, always science or God, science or God. Right. It's like, well, why? Why yeah, does it exactly, have to be that exactly, way? Yeah. Why can't it just be that God created science? Yeah. So science is just more evidence of God. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So why do they have to fight? Right. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, do you think that science is ultimately the savior in this movie? That's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess my first, like, the first thing I thought of was I was going to say yes. Yeah. Um, because just based on what we just said, you know, he Cooper finds out that the Tesseract was them. Right. That they eventually, you know, year, years beyond, you know, what they've, have lived. The, yeah. The human race has created this, or has found out how to do this new dimension, this fifth dimension, you know. Yeah. And to, to leap and bound through space and time. Um, so I think, yes, I think you could easily say that science is the savior of this, but I mean, with such, such deep themes of love and hope and faith that even if it's just through like, through scientific notion, I think that's what ends up saving these people. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, going back to Amelia Brandon wanting to go to Wolf's planet, Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's also indicative of that as well. It's like, you know, I have, I'm, she senses this, this tremendous love for this man, you know, but it's also kind of like, I love him. I trust him. We have to go there. Yeah. You know? And he may even be dead. Right. He it, probably is dead. Yeah. Exactly. But the love is still there. Yeah. 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 And I think too, one of the things I love about this movie, for such a scientific movie and a movie about exploring the universe, they never for a second touch on where the universe came from. They don't bother right. to talk about that at all. Yeah. There's no talk about evolution or the Big Bang or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's deliberate on Nolan's part, partially because I just don't think that's important in yeah. the movie. Like, it's not, that's not the point. Right. But you could look at it from a perspective of the fact that they don't talk about that. Just it could mean that there's a certain willingness to accept the idea that somebody created all that stuff to begin with. And now we're exploring it, Mm -hmm. you know, like somebody created the black hole, you know. I mean, I know they said that the wormhole is not a natural phenomenon. Like Someone put that there, but someone supernatural created the black hole, you know. Someone created the Earth. Someone created these other planets that they're exploring. So that's reading into it a lot. I know, but (laughs) just, I don't know, just the fact that they don't talk about that to me means that's open to interpretation. Exactly, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and also at the same time, it could just mean that it would would have taken away from the overall. I guess I just love, I love the idea that 
yes, it was their kind of ingenuity and their ability to get into the black hole and see beyond it to get the data and to build all this incredible stuff to get all these people off the planet and, you know, the, their perseverance that ultimately got them there. But, you know, but you still have to talk about the fact that there is a black hole there. There are these other planets. And I don't know, I, I love the mystery of them not trying to figure that out. Yeah. And to me, it almost feels like they are willing to accept the fact yeah. that there's just something bigger than them out right. there, you know? Right. Right, which fits in, with the, again, with the whole notion of exploration. Yeah. You know, um, regardless of what time period people were exploring when, you know, you had the first settlers come here and they come find the new world. Right. You know, they didn't know what to expect here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's some exciting stuff. Totally. So... And it, I have to ask, too, like, a lot of the movie is about the perseverance of the human spirit, like like you said, to avoid extinction, right. you know? Um, so you have to kind of ask what drives that perseverance, you know? Because it seems like it's more than just a fear of death, like, because that would maybe drive you to try and survive. But what drives you to really try and find something to improve everybody else's situation, yeah. you know? So I guess the question is, is that faith? Is that sort of human perseverance possible without faith in something? I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, it's definitely it's definitely taking a leap, a huge leap into not knowing anything. You know, um, I, I, I can't even really describe a way that I would be able to experience that, you know, apart from you know, leaving the industry I work in now, but I mean, in the sense of space exploration, it's like having to leave earth and all that, you know, yeah. into something that's much, much bigger than you could even imagine. Right. Um, and I think that in itself is just something that it, it's a, a human determination. I think it's always been, again, I think it's something that is ingrained in, in us perseverance um, you know, enduring things and in perseverance and endurance, I think that makes us stronger people or wiser people. Um, so I think, um, you, you do need some, I think some sort of perseverance for faith. I think maybe not entirely. I think the faith comes when you truly believe in something and you're going to follow that thing mm -hmm. with all that you are that with all that you humanly can um and i think in that there's perseverance because your faith gets tested sure um and so with that testing you know that's where you learn things it's like yeah. it's, you know it, it's just like um just like in interstellar when they they have these plans in motion and they're like well we didn't you know when they're they're gonna go down to um i can't remember the first planet they go to whatever Miller? it's called yeah Miller. miller's planet yeah miller's planet yeah. and they go okay well you know if we're here this long that's you know every hour is seven years back right. on earth yeah and they're like well we didn't plan for that mm -hmm. you know so you they worked around they persevered they lost precious time but they persevered and moved on right so yeah and and, you know, and if you're in a situation where your perseverance is continually not rewarded, you know, where you keep hitting roadblocks and you keep stumbling, 
there's got to be something that makes you keep going right. beyond your experience. Yeah. So, yeah. And perseverance in this movie is a big deal. Obviously, there's a poem that they quote throughout the movie, which I know is something we both really love. Um, Do not go gentle into that good night by Dylan Thomas. Mm-hmm. So they don't they don't say the whole thing in the movie, but I'm going to say the whole thing now because I wrote it down. Um, don't worry, it's not too long. So don't don't check out on here on us people. <laughs> um, but you hear mostly Michael Caine's character quote this. Um, uh, uh, Professor Brand, Doctor Mann quotes it too, yeah. which gives it a whole different spirit because yeah. it's so much darker and uh, yeah. it's not hopeful at <laughs> no, all. It's, it it's almost more cynical. Yeah. But when Professor Brand says it, you really get the hope that kind of is the core of the movie. Yeah. So let me read it. Um, do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Though wise men at their end no dark is right, because their words had forked no lightning, they do not go gentle into that good night. Good men, the last wave by, crying how bright, their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight and learned too late they grieve it on its way do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death who see with blinding sight blind eyes could blaze like meteors and be gay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And you, my father, there on the sad height, curse, bless me now with your fierce tears, I pray. Do not go gentle into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Now, I'm, I'm not great with poetry. I'm not going to pretend to understand every single line of that. <laughs> but you get the gist, obviously. You know, rage, rage against the dying of the light. Yeah. You know, never give up. Exactly. Always persevere. And I think it's interesting that they don't quote the last stanza, which is, you know, and you, my father, there on the sad height. They don't quote that in the movie. But that's really the one that kind of gives you a hint that, oh, well, maybe Dylan Thomas is incorporating God in this poem. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I love the references to that. Obviously, it's what Professor Brand says as he's dying, as he's breathing his last breath. So, I love the character that that poem gives the movie. What did you think about that? I think it, yeah. I mean, he quotes it, he quotes it to Cooper, or or as they're, they're taking off. He's he's quoting it, and then right before he he passes away, he quotes it, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's it's it, it was a, a great way for them to start, and then for him to to kind of finish off as his character in the movie. Yeah, um, because I think like what you had said, it 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 gives the movie a lot of character because yeah. of you know what Dylan Thomas is. You know, from when you read what you read in the poem and how if what you glean from there, uh, you know, just that hope, you know, um, depending on, uh, I mean, it doesn't matter what, what the situation is, you know, um, however bleak it might be, there's still hope, Yeah. you know, um, there's hope and there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that the poem was, was great to have. Um, along with, I mean, just the, the, the emotion that Hans Zimmer brings into the, the score of the movie as well. Is, yeah. 
And just to kind of talk from our worldview perspective for a second, if not for God, where does hope come from? Like, (laughs) how do you even have it, you know? Because, you know, maybe you're one of those people who is fortunate enough to have had circumstances and experience in life that breed hope in you, you know? But a lot of us have just been through hard stuff that kind of hacks away at your willingness to trust in hope, you know? So if there's nothing beyond that, where does that hope even come from? Exactly, yeah. I, I, it's, it's, you know, your, you, your hope would almost come from not material things, but just little things that you, you know, you're in your mind that you would make up. Like I, you know, I have hope because of this, you know, because of, I don't, I don't know, like because of my dog. My dog keeps me you know, going or yeah. Yeah, a pet or a thing, you know, versus, you know, the idea of who God is and the significance of that, I right. think is what keep, you know, our, again, our, what our belief would have in that and how we go on on a day to day basis, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I've got one more, this, this last question doesn't necessarily relate to anything else we've talked about. I just love this tiny little conversation in the movie, so I want to see what you think about it. But, okay. um, so the conversation between Amelia and Cooper, you know, when they're talking about Edmund's planet and she's talking about love and you know the science of love and her theories about it. Yeah. Um, she talks about she likes being out in space, out in the universe, because there's no evil. Mm-hmm. And um, and Coop says, you don't think nature can be evil? And she says, no, formidable, frightening, but not evil. Yeah. So what do you think about that, the whole idea that nature is not evil? Do you agree with that? I would say so, yeah. 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 I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that um, um, nature is out, out to get you. Yeah. Um, if I may put it in insurance terms yeah do it um so uh, on your basic coverage form right you would have um the things that are excluded from the policy and then things that um are included obviously and then you could throw on additional things as well Mm -hmm. um but there's there's certain items that wouldn't necessarily otherwise be covered unless it was if it wasn't an act of god is what we call it yeah so you have active God, you know, you yeah. have tornadoes, you have earth, you know, totally. all that stuff. Um, and that's because, you know, you know, a tornado, even though you can pick up your property or some of the things that you own and drive it somewhere else to protect <laughs> it, a tornado is coming regardless of whether and how protected you are. Right. You know, it, I don't think nature's out to get you. So, yes, I think it is formidable, like. It, it's part of life. Yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree. I don't think nature is evil. Um, it's definitely something I can get anxious about. Yeah. So it can feel evil to right. me at times, but I know <laughs> right. that it's not nature, you know, it's, right. it's my own feelings, but it Cooper seems to maybe believe that nature can be evil, which just intrigues me so much. Like somebody who's so grounded in science sees evil in nature yeah i'm just like well where does that come from like that's another thought that 
maybe God exists in this universe because if there's evil, then there's good, you right. know, and there's so. Right. That's interesting. Know. Yeah. Because he also, I think he's, since he's so found, so grounded in science and science, he's this, you know, he's, he's this really smart guy. Yeah. Um, you know, you can kind of also think about, his, you know, naming his daughter Murphy. Yeah. You know, and he explains to her, like, not everything, he's like, Murphy's law doesn't mean everything bad will happen. But yeah. he said, whatever can happen will happen. And I totally thought it did mean everything bad will happen. Yeah. Like, that yeah. was the first time I ever heard that. I was like, <laughs> oh, I just learned something. Right, because I think it's one of those things that, like, you, like people throw around. It's like, oh, Murphy's law, yeah. whatever. Yeah, so yeah. people throw that around, not really understanding what it meant. And um, it's really funny. I wanted to name Audrey Murphy. Uh-huh. And you know, Lauren's like, no, no. <laughs> was it after seeing this movie? It was after seeing this movie, and it was in the middle of, you know, she had a high-risk pregnancy. So, you know, going through that. Right, like, right. I, like, we were still trying to pick names, and she's like, nah. <laughs> so. Well, you know that I would never have judged you for naming your kid based on something in a Chris Nolan movie. <laughs> Seeing as how my son's name is Nolan, <laughs> I would have been right there with you. I think, yeah, yeah. In the very least, I would have had a couple people who are like, I, you I know, see what I, you did I see what you did yeah. there. Uh, that you know, that kind of wraps up all of the big questions and stuff I had. Was there anything else that you had that you wanted to kind of touch on? No, I mean. No, who's the who's the the character that I can't remember his name? Rom Romley. Yeah, Romley. Romley. Yeah, Romley. I the I was, other. Yeah, he because you know I don't mean to backtrack or make this any no. longer, but no, um, no. he he almost made it on my my favorite as well. Um, because I was thinking about it, he <clears throat> you have you had all these characters and they all meet in the secret secret super secret hideout totally. that NASA has right and. You have the first guy that 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 dies on on Miller's planet, Doyle. Doyle. Yeah, I, yeah. I, and when we were doing the characters list, I yeah. thought about that. I'm like, do I include Romilly? Do I include Doyle? Do I yeah. include Tars? I'm right. like, there's so many. Yeah, there's so many. And there. we had this problem when we did the Serenity podcast. Yeah. And you felt like you had to hit every single one of them, and yeah. it's a Joss Whedon movie, so there's a thousand characters so many, to talk yeah. about. Yeah. But yeah, no. Continue. Yeah. So he, you know, I felt like he, out of everybody in the movie, aside from the people that are, didn't really matter at the, in NASA, um, he kind of was almost an outsider. Like you had all these things, all these things in motion in within the major characters, and then you had him on the outside, kind of always chiming in yeah. with like, "Hey guys, you know, this is what." This is what this means. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is how you should think about this. Right. Or this works if you do that. And I thought that was really interesting how they had him in there. He obviously, you know, his his exit's very explosive. Right. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is see this is where an audio medium doesn't quite get it done. No, it I wish you guys could have seen the look on Elvis's face. He was like, he was like, I just made a joke. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, and it, it, I was I was bummed when they couldn't save him, but I mean it didn't matter. But yeah, he I think he played this outsider the entire time. He was part of the mission, obviously, part of this greater goal or this big goal in in saving humanity. But he he played an outsider. There was neither I felt there was neither an, an emotional standpoint for him or or anything else that um, uh, Amelia or Cooper were experiencing yeah. in in the movie. 
um, he just kind of had this outside role of almost a remind reminding and being obvious part. He was another brilliant man there, you know, being another resource to that. So I don't, I don't know. I kind of get. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, you know, as you bring him up, this never occurred to me until just now. But I now that I think about it, I think he actually has a very vital role in the movie because when they go to Miller's planet, you know, for him. But by the time they get back, he's been alone on the Endurance for 23 years. Yeah. I think it is. And he's still there. And, you know, yeah, he had his periods where he took the long nap and stuff like that. But he always set it to wake himself back up. Yeah. And he obviously didn't completely lose faith that he would ever see them again. Yeah. And that something would continue. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, I feel like when Cooper and Amelia get back to the ship and see that he's done that and he's still there, that sort of may give them a little hint like, well, maybe Earth is the same way, you know? Yeah. This is still worth fighting. Right. This is not worth giving up on because, you know, people will persevere. It's still worth saving. So maybe he actually has a really important role to play. Right. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, I just thought of this now. It's, it's, it's really neat to see Christopher Nolan do this in the movie, but also when you think about it some more, it's like no matter how much you try to detach yourself from feelings or emotions, you always find yourself in that even the smallest community. Yeah. Because you're all they're all running the same race. Yeah. You know, they're all trying to achieve the same goal and you're kind of they're stuck with each other. So there's that still that sense of community yeah. within their own little world there. Which is why when Matt Damon wakes up or when Dr. Mann wakes up and sees Cooper's face, yeah, he just loses it. Cries right. uncontrollably. Yeah. Like he's just like, "Oh my gosh, another person." <laughs> you know, like pray you never learn how good it can feel to see right. another face, you yeah. know. Yeah. So, yeah, Romilly. My bad. I overlooked Romilly. Good call. Good catch. Yeah. All right. Well, I think man, I think we've talked about this movie pretty well. Again, if for some reason you've listened to this whole thing and you've had this movie completely spoiled for you and you haven't seen it, it's still worth it. Go it see is. it. Go watch Interstellar. Because we butchered a lot of quotes. We so. did. Go get, go get the real quotes. Yes. Because they're way better. Because they're written by Christopher Nolan. Yes. Um, Elvis, thanks for doing Gerald. this, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. Totally. This has been really fun. So, and thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Story Geeks podcast. Um, Stick around. Jay's going to have some information for you. And uh, we will see you guys next time. Thanks. Do you guys love Interstellar as much as Daryl and Elvis? I'll say for me personally, the film is really emotionally deep, which obviously is apparent in their discussion, which was fantastic. But I feel like there are some plot holes in that film. And those plot holes really bug me, so I would love to hear your thoughts about that. Obviously, Daryl and Elvis did an amazing job of discussing the film in depth, and I really like some of the points they're making here. But what do you think of Interstellar? We have multiple ways for you to let us know. You can email us at reclamationsociety at gmail.com. Just cut and paste that from the show notes. Or you can head over to our MZ group. MZ is where we host our discussion board. And you can start a thread or add your thoughts to an existing thread over on that group. The link is in the show notes. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we are giving away comics. And in order to be entered to win, you only have to do two things. One, review the Story Geeks podcast on iTunes. Just give us a short review. 
and two, like the Reclamation Society Facebook page. Just make sure that if you review uh, the Story Geeks podcast on iTunes, make sure that your name is on it, or if you use a username, just make sure that when you like our Facebook page, you shoot us a quick message and let us know what the username um, that you use for your iTunes review is, because that way we can match the two together. The link to the Facebook page is in the show notes, so very easy to get over there. If you're under 18, get your parents' permission um, or have them review the podcast and like our Facebook page. The other cool thing is, if you give us a review on iTunes and if you like our Facebook page, you will be entered to win all future comics that we give away. So you've only got to do this one time. That is it for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as I did. Special thanks to Daryl Smith and Elvis Ieskus. Fantastic deep discussion. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or follow us on Podbean for more episodes. As always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth.